everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. There's something about being in nature, about the great outdoors. It offers many comforts to many people. Some even swear that you'll find your true self out there, in nature. A lot of my experiences, they've been positive, but not all of them. And apparently, I'm not alone. Because while some are finding themselves, others are doing quite the opposite. Losing themselves, questioning their own sanity. They too had high hopes. They too were excited at the thought of discovering new things or carrying on traditions. But unfortunately, they end up finding things they'd rather not find, seeing things they'd rather not see, making for some terrifying experiences. So, let's get started, shall we? On the eastern side of the United States, the rural nature of reservations allow things to remain undisturbed. Keeping things like certain creatures, sacred land, and specific family traditions hidden from the city's growth and from prying eyes. We've got plenty of traditions, and we've got plenty of lore. Growing up, I got to experience these traditions and this lore firsthand. After all, an elder's gift of warning to the youth holds more value than their little hands or even their minds can grasp. So, traditions. My brother Palm and his friend Chuck had a pretty successful moonshine business on the res. At the early age of 11, I was taught how to make moonshine near a small hidden creek off a long dirt trail near our property. Chuck had stolen the materials from work to make the makeshift distiller. He and my brother rode their bikes down the long dirt trail. Before the sun had even risen that day, they were already up making sure the lab was undisturbed, checking on the fermentation of the mash. They'd make this trip at least every other day. Labs like these aren't easy to build or maintain without the proper knowledge. They're also extremely illegal. That afternoon... After they return home, a couple tribal police officers show up at the door. My brother was a cocky bastard, and he thought he could talk his way out of anything. As soon as he opened up the door, one of the officers grabbed him and threw him off of our porch and onto the yard. Without words, they proceed to absolutely beat the shit out of him before throwing him in the back of one of their police cars. One of the cops returns to the doorway and he asks me where my mom is. I say that she's at the store. They ask if I know anything about moonshine, but are quick to believe an 11-year-old asking, what's moon sun? I felt pretty clever coming up with that little routine on the spot. When the tribal police left, I called Chuck's house, and his sister answered the phone, saying the cops had just picked him up too. She tells me that I need to get rid of the operation, wreck the whole thing before the cops find it. Dusk has approached, 
and my fearless outlaw alter ego would turn back into a small 11-year-old boy as the sun would set. I hated it when the sun went down, whether it be stories I was told about the things that would come after me in the dark, or a distorted concept of reality through a child's eyes. I was terrified when Chuck's sister hung up on me. I didn't want to make the trip alone, in the dark. But if the police did find a fully functional moonshine distillery, I knew my brother and Chuck would be going to jail for a long time. So reluctantly, I grabbed my little league bat, hopped on my dirt bike, and I started toward the lab. It's full dark by the time I reach the creek. Seeing no police my whole ride, I immediately hopped off my bike, and using all of my body weight, I was able to push the fermenting barrel into the creek, spilling all of the liquid, fermenting fruit and sugar, into the stream. The thick odor of alcohol burnt my nostrils when it poured out. Then... I began swinging for the fences to every metal cylinder and pipe near me. I'm sure it sounded like some sort of strange performance in the woods that night, like that group that used to bang on trash cans and other loud shit. It was sort of exciting, so I get it, I guess. Anyway, when I was done, I was physically exhausted. I sat there in the dirt amongst the bent metal, trying to catch my breath and regain some strength before hopping back on my bike. I felt like such a little badass having accomplished my demolition mission, but my ego is put into check when the sound of walking is heard. I thought the tribal police had shown up. I didn't see a flashlight, but the sound was approaching from down the creek. The sound of shuffling rocks under a slow pace of steps. As quiet as I can be, I put the kickstand on my bike, and I try to wheel it and myself behind a cluster of trees, out of sight from whoever's walking this way. When my bike was hidden, I got on my hands and knees and tried to crawl back out to retrieve my bat. It's just beyond my reach by the time the bushes across the creek begin to rustle and separate. Boots did not pass through the branches. Instead, the gravel shoreline was met with big paws. Following the legs up, a rushed assessment of what I'm seeing tells me it's not a cop. So I stand up. I still don't know what it is, though. Its movements are labored as it pushes through the bushes into view. As God is my witness, what fell out of those branches onto the rocks was an unholy monster of hell. Dashing back behind the trees, I watched the biggest gray wolf thing I'd ever laid eyes on. It made multiple attempts to pick itself up off the ground before falling back down again into the creek water. Its eyes glowed, but... Its eyelids rested heavy on them. It's pulled itself up the shore and using a tree for leverage, it was able to pull itself up. This wolf is now standing on two feet, easily stretched to eight feet tall. What was even more unnerving was watching it try to walk on two legs rather than returning to four. One paw still on the tree I watch it try to lick the fur from its other arm 
before it starts making a guttural moan and then throws up onto its feet in the rocks. Bearing witness to this creature freezes me in unmovable fear. But a very small portion of me was feeling bad to watch this creature get sick like that. Soon, this monster makes a struggling retreat into the darkness of the forest. When the area is once again silent, I jump on my dirt bike and get my ass out of there. When I got home, my mom still wasn't home. So I called Chuck's sister and I told her everything that happened. When I told her about the monster I saw, she just said, Oh, you saw the dog man. You're lucky he wasn't hungry. But you still wrecked the lab, right? I told her that I did, and we hung up. Something tells me I got really lucky that night. What I think is that the dog man was drinking from the creek when I dumped the moonshine into it. And by the time I had made enough racket to warrant an investigation, the thing was already too intoxicated. The next day, tribal police found what was left of the moonshine business. But it was too destroyed for us to not argue that it was just discarded litter in the forest. When Chuck and my brother got released, they were back out in a different spot, making a new distiller by the end of that week. I never went all in on moonshining. The woods, they always unsettled me a bit after that. I stuck to daytime work and I stayed armed, but even still, I didn't like it. When I was a little kid, I lived in a haunted house, somewhere right outside of L.A. I don't remember much, but I do remember my siblings being scared of this house. We once heard my oldest brother struggling to breathe, and when we walked in, we witnessed that he had bruises around his neck, as if he was choked. We even witnessed a figure walking around the house and sitting on our couch during the night. This story is about something that stuck with me. When I was around four, I was wandering around the house one night, and I recall hearing a noise from the vents, as if something was shuffling in there. I knew something was in there, and I yelled for it to come out. The shuffling, it got louder and louder, until the vent opens up. What came out would quite literally stick with me my entire life. It was a very pale girl with black hair that reached her back. She was crawling on the ceiling. And you know that feeling of utter fear and danger. Well, that made me start to run. I ran into my room and it followed me. Me and my brother shared a room and as I ran, he looked up and he had a look of fear on his face. I remember managing to evade this thing, and I made it to my mom's room. But honestly, I don't recall it ever chasing me out of my room. I believe it was my crazy imagination if it wasn't for my brother, who to this day still asks me if what he saw, I saw. Since that day, however, it kind of followed me throughout my life. 
I'd always see it in the corner of my eye, just staring at me from corners of rooms, always just hiding and staring. Not surprisingly enough, it's always in my times of peril or depression when I see her most. I know she feeds off the negativity in my life. She's been seen by my family member and also a friend, all while I was present. So when I was nine months pregnant with my son, two years ago, for three weeks, every single night, I woke up at 3.38 a.m. Not a second sooner, not a second later. When I'd wake up, it felt like someone was near me. Like I felt like someone was there, but not physically felt. It felt like someone was just in my room. But it wasn't a scary feeling. So I brushed it off went back to sleep. I used to watch the psychic medium live on Facebook, so one night, something told me to tell him about it and ask him what it meant. He told me that he's sensing a father figure around me. He said that he's sensing that I have the gift of mediumship, which he said is a rarer gift. He said that that time of night, when I'm sleeping, is when I'm most open and my light is the brightest. When he said father figure, I assumed he meant my godfather, who passed away in 2015. I started looking up ways to be more open to these connections, and I practiced each night. Three nights later, I had a dream. I'm friends with this girl on Facebook. She doesn't ever share anything personal about her life, so I really don't know her. But I had a dream about her. In my dream... I was a man in his mid-thirties. I had dark brown hair and dark brown five o'clock shadow, stubble. So anyways, it was the man, me, the girl, and her mom. We were at a lake, and the man is in the water, and the girl had just gotten in. The bottom was slimy and full of algae, so the mom didn't want to get in. The man, me was playfully calling her names and telling her to get in. Then, we are all in the water, and a turtle swims by. Then, we're in the water, and the man and the mom start arguing. He tells her that she deserves more, she deserves to be loved and happy, and that she could find someone else. When I woke up, those are the parts that stood out to me. And something told me to contact this girl and tell her about it. Y'all, this girl told me that her mom's fiancé had passed away a few years ago. And the last thing they did as a family was go to the lake. And that her mom was scared to get in the water because the bottom was slimy. And her fiancé was teasing her, calling her names and telling her to get in. They caught a turtle while they were there. And she still has it. She said her mom has been trying to start dating again, but stopped because she felt so guilty about trying to move on. Fast forward, the last two weeks I've been waking up at 3.38 a.m., but this time, when I wake up, I have this horrible feeling in my stomach and in my chest. My chest will hurt so badly, 
because of the anxiety it gives me. So this starts out rather boring. A few years ago, I signed a lease on an apartment for my final years of university. It's a studio apartment, nothing special. The building itself is only notable for the fact that the architecture is so unremarkable. There's a modern high-rise across the street in a historic apartment building next door. When I first picked up my keys, the landlord's employee who gave them to me told me that she lived in the building and that I could go to her if I needed anything after hours. This wasn't a weird or sexual comment, as the property office closed at three on weekdays and noon on Fridays. Fast forward several months and I'm noticing strange behavior from her. She no longer says hello to me or any of the other tenants. She's complaining about loud noises coming from my apartment when I'm not home, and I've made sure all of my appliances are off and in power-save mode. She'd also wake up at an ungodly early hour, 4 a.m., and have an extensive phone call, two hours, and then go back to sleep, only to wake up crying loudly by 9 a.m. This was a consistent pattern, four or five days a week. After the Christmas holiday, I receive a call from the landlord's office, asking me if I've recently had contact with this girl. I say no, as I've been in my home state for the holiday for over a week. The rep from the office says that she didn't properly prep the building before she left on holiday, and there was a pipe that burst, some ventilation damage, and other assorted issues. I return to my apartment the day before New Year's Eve so I can celebrate with friends, and I run into her boyfriend on the front stoop of the building. He tells me that he hasn't heard from her in a few days, which is unusual behavior for her. We knocked on her apartment door. She immediately began shouting at us, screaming our names, even though we never identified ourselves, merely knocked. Her boyfriend left shortly thereafter, he was needed at work. I went into my unit to make dinner, but began to receive a flurry of rage-filled, hateful text messages from her number. Given the contrast of the violence in her messages and what I perceived was her normal self, I was alarmed. I texted her boyfriend and I called the landlord. The landlord said they would look into it when business resumed on January 2nd. Her boyfriend texts me several hours later, something about her dad was going to be visiting that following week. I shrugged off the angry texts and I deleted them. I had no intention of pressing harassment charges. Later that week, I see her father's truck in the lot behind the building while I was taking out garbage. I walk up and I say hello, exchange a few pleasantries. I didn't notice right away, but... His pupils were quite small. Without attempting to be intrusive, I asked how his daughter was doing, just to be polite. At that moment, his demeanor changed profoundly, and he seemed to be in a hurry to leave the lot. Thinking nothing of it, I went back inside. Maybe two or three weeks later, 
I started having trouble sleeping. Not just tossing and turning, but I would take sleeping pills and I would get only six hours of sleep every two days. It was a very difficult period. One night, I decided to forego the over-the-counter sleep aids to try to reset my body clock. As I lay there in the dark, I could see things moving in my apartment. People have said it was like a trick of the light or something. But the thing is, I use two layers of blackout curtains on each window, and I unplug all of my electronics each night. There was nowhere for the light to come in from in order to create this sort of shadow play. So I decided to lie still until I was fully able to finally fall asleep. At 3 a.m., I was awoken by the sound of her crying. But this time, it was more like a howling. It was the most unsettling noise I've heard in my two and a half decades on this planet. That semester, I was in a class with a boyfriend, who was a graduate student at the time. We became friends over the course of the semester, and he began to confide in me events that were more disturbing than what I'd already experienced. Despite no personal or family history of mental illness, he told me that one evening, while they were out to dinner, she lied to him that she was pregnant. He, doing his best to cope with that news, started talking with her about how they could raise the child. In his excitement, he rattled off to her a handful of baby names that he was fond of. To his surprise, she had a strong dislike for one of the girl names, and she became so enraged, she stabbed herself in the hand with a steak knife. This information caught me totally off guard, and I was in disbelief. He told me that her parents drove from four hours away to check her into a mental hospital for the involuntary 72 hours. After that time was over, physicians couldn't pinpoint a clear diagnosis, so she was released without mandated supervision. As the semester wore on, her behavior grew increasingly unhinged. I no longer spoke to her, but one time sneezed late at night which angered her to the point that she tried to file a noise complaint against me. That incident resulted in her being fined. By the time exams came around, I wanted to move out more than I wanted to pass any of my classes. After finals ended, she packed up her belongings and moved out. In an effort to be helpful, I carried a few boxes to the U-Haul that she'd rented and had parked in the lot. Sitting on top of one of the smaller boxes, I noticed a wooden board with the words yes and no branded on it, along with the English alphabet and numbers. It was a Ouija board. After she left, I lived in that apartment another year and never again encountered the strange shadow apparitions. Also, her replacement moved into the same apartment and on occasion would tell me that his apartment smelled rotten, like there was something dead in the walls. I never told him about seeing the Ouija board, but to this day, I suspect she had some sort of demonic attachment or oppression after treating the Ouija like a toy, and that negative energy it bled into my apartment while leaving a permanent marker 
on the unit she still inhabited. Very unsettling. I wanted to share my experience from quite a few years ago. When my older brother and I lived with our parents, I walked into my bedroom and saw something really strange on my bed. I picked it up, and it looked like it was made out of clay or something. It was an old-looking sculpted head that kind of resembled my brother. I'd never seen it before, and the way it was just sitting on my bed made it look like it had fallen from the ceiling. There were little pieces around it, as if it had fallen from a higher height. I brought it to my family members and asked if they put it there and why. My mom, dad, and brother said that they had not. But they did recognize it as a piece of an art project my brother had to do for school some years prior. We didn't have any pets, so that couldn't really explain how it got there. It's been years since that experience, but... I still have no idea where it came from, and why or how it ended up on my bed, or what ended up happening to it even. Nothing else like this has happened that I can remember, but it was so strange that I still recall it. This happened a long time ago, when I was 13 or 14. At the time, there were already phones like Blackberry and iPhone, the very first model, but my family was so poor that we couldn't afford to get fancy phones like that. I had to settle with a Nokia 6600. That was very strange to begin with. My dad bought it secondhand for me at one of those small local shops. Sometimes these phones would have previous owner's SIM cards in their contact list, so not everything had been wiped out, and sometimes you could go through the photos that they took. Anyway, that was a little background of the phone. The first time I got that phone, someone called me, and it was this haunting, weird, Burmese chanting thing, and it freaked the shit out of me. I was home alone at the time, so I was confused as fuck when I heard the ringtone. But then I realized that it was this phone my dad got me. I don't know the previous owner, but holy hell, it was creepy. Anyway, a few nights in with the phone, I don't think much about the weird ringtone anymore. I've changed it to something more monotone, a beep thing. Then, one night around 2am, I wanted to take a selfie. But this phone does not have the front camera, obviously, so you couldn't see the selfies you were taking. And so imagine this. The room is a rectangle. I sat on one side of the room and behind me, it's just empty space where someone else could sit in a big armchair and watch TV. I took selfies on the side of the room that I was sitting in. So in the selfies, the empty space behind me should have remained empty. Fuck no. I took three or four selfies, and one of them had this white, pale man sitting in the armchair, facing the camera. 
you could see him sitting behind me, smiling like he'd been part of the photo. He was so damn pale, super pale, but you could still see from the outline of his face that he was smiling. I wish I had kept the photo. Instead, I deleted it, threw the phone away, and ran to bed. It was so damn creepy. The guy just sat there smiling, as if this was any other normal photo. What the fuck? And ever since then, every time I sat in that room to do whatever, homework, or just browse the web, I'd always peek behind me to see if someone was sitting there. Oftentimes, I'd hear movements in that room, like someone opening the door, rattling the door, dropping things, walking around, moving the armchair. It was just a whole damn mess. Sorry for the long story. It truly just fucked me up. When I was 15 or so, me and my group of friends all slept over at one of our friends' houses. This dude lived in the most absolutely rural area of our already rural town, basically in the middle of the woods, a house just absolutely surrounded by thick walls of trees. In the evening, we decided to go out and start a bonfire deep in his woods, so we packed up, got our materials, and went straight out into the woods. On the way to the spot we'd be making our campfire at, he told us how fucked up and creepy his woods are. He told us the numerous things that he's seen. White, skinny figures peeking around his shed, staring at him, and running off when he looked at it. Screaming and whispers coming from the woods, figures watching him, all that good stuff. It set the mood pretty well. By around seven at night, we had the campfire set up. It was pitch black outside, as it was the middle of winter in New Hampshire. I can still remember how creepy the whole vibe was that night. You couldn't see a single thing because the ring of light coming out of the fire, everything else was just a black wall of nothingness. And the sound of the forest, it was so quiet that it was almost deafeningly loud if we didn't talk. We ended up needing more firewood, amongst other things, to sustain us and the fire, so my friend takes me with him to go back and get it. Without a flashlight or any source of light, me and him walk the mile and a half long trail back to his house in complete and utter darkness. It was all good, we were talking, joking with each other, having a good time just hanging out. When the first noises started, he immediately made me stop talking. To my left and my right was a bunch of different sounds. Screaming, laughing, talking, whispering, shouting, people saying inaudible words. It sounded like there were something around 20 people around us. The natural night vision had set in a decent amount. I looked over at my friend who had his head down and didn't say a single word. Known for being a complete goofball and a wild, funny dude, I'd never seen him look so shaken and serious in my life. 
He had this look to him that still haunts me to this day. We knew him, and he portrayed himself as this fearless leader type of our group. Seeing him so shaken up and afraid was really, really unsettling. I started to say something along the lines of, What the fuck is that? Before he cut me off and told me to be quiet, face forward, and not to pay attention to any of the sounds. I did what he said, and the next three or so minutes was uncomfortable and terrifying. I remember feeling sick to my stomach. By the time we reached his house, the sounds had stopped. We both grabbed what we needed to grab in the silence, and that's when I could really listen to the sheer quietness of that night. No birds, no sticks falling, no sound. Absurdly silent. We walked back to the campsite. Nothing else occurred that night. Still my most unsettling and bizarre experience that I've almost no explanation of. This could be a paranormal experience, although I'm not sure. My friends and I had this goofy paranormal group. We got together maybe a year ago and did this seance at my friend's apartment. We do have a friend who's likely psychic, Francis. She couldn't come because she was working. That night we were recording because we were trying to see if we could get EVPs. We used this ghost app on someone's iPad, which I don't think any of us took very seriously, but we were using it for what it's worth. Francis had told us to make sure to ask for only high vibrational spirits, so that's what we did. And she told us to ask for signs, like making the candles flash. Later that night, I text Francis, and she said that the spirit wanted us to close the window. That made a lot of sense because the window was open, and if we'd closed the window, we probably would have been able to hear the sounds clearer and louder. Francis was texting me throughout, and that's why we were asking certain questions, like if their name was Ellen. Also, Francis mentioned something about a piano when I first got there. I didn't think much of it until later, when I heard the notes. To me, it sounded like the sounds were coming from right in front of their apartment door, inside the apartment. It was like coming out of the ether or something. I've tried googling, but I haven't come up with anything like this. Has anyone experienced something like this before? I also feel like an idiot. In this session, I keep asking for a sign, and the person or spirit did give us a sign. Oh well. My friends and I have a date to try a seance again to communicate this Saturday. Anyone have any advice on what I can or should do to encourage the spirit? We believe it's friendly. Sniffers, my friend's cat, was also there. We did a Ouija board thing a couple of years ago there as well. The planchette kept going off the board towards my friend Kim, who wasn't there the night of the seance. I'd never seen that happen before. I read later that it means something is trying to escape the board. Anyone ever heard that before? Weird. 
couple of years ago, my buddy and I were bored one afternoon, and we decided to explore an abandoned house that I had spotted earlier that week. I had been out on a drive. We live in a small town that's mostly suburbs, but if you drive five minutes north, it's all country roads, farmland, forests, etc. The abandoned house I spotted was in the middle of a field. There wasn't a paved road or gravel driveway that led up to it, so we parked as close as we could to the side of the road and walked through the tall grass to reach it. The house looked pretty old, most likely built in the early 1900s. There were plants engulfing the entire home, and part of the roof was missing from what looked like fire damage. It obviously been abandoned for some time. My friend tells me that he's going to hang back when we get close to the house. He couldn't shake this feeling that something was off. And he said that he was getting bad vibes. I decided to keep going. When I reached the house, I looked in through the windows. And I saw lots of weather damage and signs of neglect. The door, however, was locked. I walked around the perimeter of the house, and I found a cellar door, unlocked. I entered, and I slowly started walking down the old wooden staircase. I got about halfway down, and I squinted, waiting for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. The only light source was the sunlight coming in from the open cellar door. It was full of old belongings, furniture, and junk. Then... In the far right corner, I saw what looked like a figure, standing in the darkness, facing me. My stomach sank. It was a tall person, just standing there, straight, with their arms at their side. I couldn't make out what they were wearing, or facial features. I stood there for a few seconds, staring back at them in shock. I thought it had to have been my mind playing tricks on me. I squinted harder, trying to make out if what I was seeing was actually a tall figure, when suddenly it moved slightly and made a deep grunting sound. I panicked. I ran up the stairs as fast as I could. When my friend saw the look on my face when I exited the basement, he started running towards the car. He said it looked like I'd seen a ghost. When we drove away, I kept looking back to see if we were being followed, but nobody was there. Well, friends, it appears we've reached the end of tonight's episode. But don't miss a brand new episode every Friday night. And don't miss my other weekly uploads every Sunday and Wednesday. I want to thank those who shared their stories. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to like this video. Subscribe to The Darkest Hour. Tap the bell so you never miss a thing. Also, leave a comment. I love hearing from you. I sure do appreciate all of it, and I can't thank you enough. 
Huge shout out to all of my patrons for their unwavering support. Misanthropia, Shane Q, Stephen S, Monica L, The Dark Cosmos, Zoe Watt, Shelly B, Donald C, Rat Girl, Alicia S, Aaron G, and Nikki H. If you want to support The Darkest Hour in other ways, consider joining my Patreon, patreon.com slash thedarkesthour. You can keep up with me and all things Darkest Hour over on my Instagram at thedarkesthouryt or follow me on Twitter at amandajanetdh. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, amandadarkesthour at gmail.com or submit them on my subreddit, thedarkesthouryt. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.